it's really great to be here. Thanks to Pastor Barry, Brady. That fire drill messed me up a little bit. Pastor Brady, I wanted you to know my big question is not is the building burning down, but I didn't lose any of my time, did I? Okay, because that was really important to me. <laughs> It is really awesome to be here with you. I love to talk to people in ministry, probably more than any other group. I talk to lots of people, but um, to talk to brothers and sisters who are walking the same path and the same road that I am is just a joy. Um, when, when you've been in ministry as long as Rick and I have, which is to be exact, 43 years, when we got married, he was a youth pastor. We were 21, and uh, we've been in ministry you know, all this time. But when you've been in ministry uh, this long, people start asking you some of the same questions, and they start rolling into, um, you know, categories, and people always want to know, how do, you, how do you balance life and ministry and family and responsibilities? That's one of those things that people always ask all around the world. Um, people ask now, particularly at this point in our lives, what would you tell a younger person in ministry? What would you tell somebody who's just starting out? You know, what would be the guidelines that you would say? And then sometimes they say, what's the, like, what's your one message? What's the one thing that you would say? If you had one opportunity to speak to me or a group of people, what's the one message you would give? And then the other one that we hear over and over is, um, in light of some of the tragedy that you've experienced, in light of that, in light of losing your son to suicide five and a half years ago, how do you make it? How do you make it when the wheels fall off the bus? How do you make it when some of the most devastating events come into your life, things that you never anticipated, things that you never saw? How do you survive when the bottom falls out? Well, those are all really good questions, and I'm going to do my best to answer all of those in this one message. I'm going to combine them in such a way that I think we'll answer those to you. And the reason I'm going to do that is because you need to know how to last in ministry. At the end of the day, you need to know how to last. You need to know how to make it to the finish line. You need to know what it takes to go from here to whenever it is that day that Jesus calls you home. Rick and I made a determination. We knew that we were going into ministry um, as 21-year-olds when we got married. He was, like I said, he was already a youth pastor. We knew that that was ahead of us. And we made a determination way back then that we were not, not going to get sidetracked that we were not going to go off the rails, that we were not going to let anything destroy us, that we were not going to be fodder for somebody else's file of people who went wrong. Um, because as we um, were in Bible college and then in seminary and now in ministry all these years, the road is kind of littered with people who started well who started off with a bang. I mean, they started off with power. They started off with purpose. They started off with great abilities, great talents. They had skill. They had promise. They had gifting from the Lord. And yet the road is littered with many of those same people who did not finish well. They got sidetracked. They messed up along the way and didn't get back on the track. There are people that are, Rick keeps this file um, and it sounds like it's an exaggeration, but it is the honest truth. Rick keeps a file um, of called um, basically notes to self, warning. And in that warning file through all these years, he has collected stories of people we went to school with, people that we served with, people that we've heard about, people that we've only read about, but folks who started well but who did not end well, who ended up leaving ministry for one reason or the other, and it was usually not good. And so for all these years in ministry, 43 years, we reread 
those files. We reread that material often. And that might sound a little neurotic, but it's very intentional. We have decided that we're going to finish well. To the best of our ability, we're going to finish well. And to finish well, to finish well, to finish with integrity, to finish with your character stronger than it was when you started, to have finished living a life of, of, of authenticity, of being real, of not hiding, of not pretending, of not an ego that says, well, I want you to think I'm this way, but I'm really this way in my home, or the people who really know me know that I'm kind of a scumbag, but you know what, most people don't know that, so it'll be okay. We don't want to live like that. We don't want to live that way. We want to live with um, being able to, when we see Jesus face to face, if we crawl across, I'm already crying, if we crawl across the finish line because life has beaten us down, that's okay, we are going to crawl if that's what's necessary, but we are going to make it to the finish line. And to do so takes intentionality. It takes deliberate decisions. It takes a determination to live a certain way. It means that you make the right choice day in and day out, day in and day out. It means that when you're faced with an opportunity to go off the rails, to make a small decision that seems harmless, but if you were to really play it out, you could see it would lead even to your destruction or the destruction of your marriage or the destruction of your ministry if it were known. It is making those kinds of decisions over and over and over again that lead to finishing well. And so I want to talk to you about two principles that I think will get you to that finish line intact. Does it mean that you're not going to struggle along the way? It doesn't mean that the wheels aren't going to fall off the bus at some point. I pray that what happened to us never happens to you. The likelihood is it won't. But somewhere, someplace along life's journey, the wheels are going to fall off the bus for you. The bottom's going to fall out, and you're going to be faced with, how do I go on? How do I keep going? How do I stay strong? How do I, how do I finish? These two things, if you're taking notes. The first is this, control the controllables, and develop resilience. I really believe that at the heart of surviving and thriving in ministry and in life and finishing well is to control the controllables and to develop resilience. See, in life, when I talk about control the controllables, there are some things that you and I had absolutely no control over. We had no control over where we were born, when we were born, who our parents were, what we look like, what, how tall, how short, what our bone structure is like. We didn't get to choose our innate abilities. We didn't get to choose our intelligence. We didn't get to choose what time and period in history we were born. We didn't get to choose what part of the country or what part of the world. We didn't get to choose if our family was strong and stable, our family was really messed up and broken and caused a lot of wounds. We didn't get to choose necessarily where we lived as children. We didn't get to even choose what, I mean, there were so many things in our lives. We didn't get to choose, I didn't get to choose that my son had mental illness. I didn't get to choose that he died the way he did. I didn't get to choose that I was molested as a child. I didn't get to choose that um, I've had breast cancer and melanoma. There have been a lot of things in my life that I have not had any choice or any say over. But 
I have so many other things in my life that I do have control over. Some of them I don't choose to ex exercise control over, and then I pay a price for that. But don't ever kid yourself into thinking that you do not have choices in your life and have the ability to control some of the things that you would say, um, I'd rather, rather not control that because that's hard or that takes work. But don't fool yourself into thinking you don't have control because you do. But here's the other thing, the other part of that. My, my motto is control the controllables and leave the uncontrollables to God. There's so much you can't control, and those things must be left in the hand of God. You simply cannot orchestrate everything that happens to you. Those must be left in God's hands. But you do have the responsibility, I have the responsibility, to control what I can. That becomes my personal responsibility. And then the second principle, and I'm going to dive into both of these, um, but just, you know, here at the start, kind of unpack it a little bit. Resilience is a word that we hear a lot about today, particularly when we talk about wellness or mental health or mental illness, because developing resilience is one of those characteristics that they have decided, they being whoever they are, scientists or whomever, that sometimes people go through an, an identical circumstance, an identical painful circumstance, and one person will survive and thrive, and one person will be crippled by it forever. What makes the difference? And they have said that what makes the difference is resilience. That resilience is a set of learned characteristics, of learned behaviors, and that when we learn those things, we have resilience. Let me define it for you. Resilience means the ability to recover readily from adversity, depression, able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. These are some words used around resilience. Strong, tough, hard, buoyant, which means it floats, irrepressible, able to recoil or spring back into shape after being bent or stretched or even compressed. The Merriam-Webster defines resilience as able to become strong, healthy, or successful again after something bad happens. Hemingway said in one of his books that life breaks all of us, but some become strong at the broken places. That's what it means to be resilient. Bad things happen to all of us. Some worse than others, but bad things happen to all of us. People who are resilient are people who have learned to bounce back, who have learned to get through adversity. Remember I said learn. This is not something that's just given. It's not just handed out. These are qualities and characteristics that you and I can develop if we want to. And of course, we all want to be resilient. Who doesn't want to be able to bounce back from setbacks? Who doesn't want to be able to get back on their feet after something has happened? Who doesn't want that? I mean, we all do, but we're not necessarily sure that we know how to get it. But I believe these two things, how much you accept the responsibility to develop resilience in your own life and how much you um, accept responsibility for controlling the controllables and leaving the uncontrollables to God will, in the end, influence the length and the breadth and the depth of both your life and your ministry. It's that important. It really all comes down to one sentence. It's a very simple sentence, and it's this. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Because, my friends, you are a person before you are a minister. Before you're a minister, before you are a man or woman of God, before you're a mother or a father or a friend 
or a brother or a sister or an accountant or a teacher, before you are any of those things, you're a person. And persons must be cared for. And this truth I want to share with you. This is going to sound harsh. There's nobody in the world that's going to take care of you. Nobody. There's nobody. And that's not being cynical. That's not me being jaded. That's not me being bitter. That is me accepting the reality that there really is no one on the face of the earth who can take care of my person but me. Other people can nurture it by the way they love me, by the way they interact with me. I'm not saying any of that. But at the end of the day, when I stand before God on that day, when I stand and I tell him and we go over my life together, after I've gotten in there through the grace of Jesus Christ, which I will, and from there as he and I review my life, he's going to look at me not as any role I played, not as any claim I got or didn't get. He's not going to look at me as an author. He's not going to look at me as a speaker. He's not going to look at me as a mother. He's not going to look at me even as a wife. He's going to look at me first as a person made in his image. And I have a responsibility as a person to live as though I have nourished and taken care of the one life that he has given to me. That means that your deacons or your elders are not going to take care of you. They're just not. They may be good people, but they're not responsible for your person. Your husband is not going to take care of you. Hopefully, you have a strong marriage together, but it's not his responsibility to nurture your person. Guys, your wife, it's not her responsibility to take care of who you are on the inside. Ultimately, you have that responsibility. So it's not our friends, it's not our elders or deacons or our Bible study group or our spouses or our friends. It is up to us before God. And there are three areas that I would say that I want to just drill down that specifically apply to these principles about taking care of yourself, about controlling the controllables, about developing resilience. And, and they're spiritually, emotionally, and physically because we're whole beings. And so if we're going to talk about taking care of ourselves, we have to talk about who we are as whole people, not just one aspect of who we are. So let me just dive, in, dive into talking about spiritually, because, you know, you like this one. You might not like some of the others, but you'll like this one, because this is kind of what we do as believers. We talk about this all the time. But here's a reality that you might not have really accepted, is that nobody, 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 can make you close to Jesus. Nobody can make you a mature man or woman of God but you. Nobody. Rick cannot stand over me. I mean, he could, but he wouldn't, and it wouldn't be right, and it wouldn't change anything even if he did. But he couldn't stand over me and say, have you read your Bible today? Have you prayed today? Are you worshiping God in your heart? Tell me about your quiet time. Tell me about your places of surrender. How often, Kay, do you say yes to God? There's nobody. Nobody can do that. It's me and God. This is a controllable thing. And if I want to be, if you want to be a spiritually mature person, somebody who, man, you are known by God and you know him and you're intimate with him and you have a relationship that's deep, and it's strong and it's vibrant. It will 
only happen, not because of the church you go to, not because of the church you serve in, not because of the Bible study group that you're in, not because of whose podcast you're listening to, not because of the books you read, not because of the conversations you have. If you are a spiritually mature man or woman of God, it will be because you chose to be. It will be because you decided to control the controllables. It will be because you decided that to be an authentic believer who is true before God and true before others, you will be the person who decides, I will be in the word today. And I will let the word speak to me. I won't just read it. I will let the word speak to me and correct me and exhort me and comfort me. I will let it change me. I will decide to be a person who prays. Nobody else can make that decision for you. Nobody else can make you run to seek God. Nobody else can make you go headlong first, fast and furiously into the arms of God when things go wrong, but you, no one, no one can have a heart of surrender for you, but you. I'm the one that has to decide every moment of every day if I'm going to say yes or not. And I have made a practice of saying yes to God in a thousand, thousand, thousand small ways. Over 64 years. So that when the biggest yes that I needed to say, five and a half years ago when my son died, I could have walked away from God. I could have decided that he was a fake because he didn't answer our prayers. I could have decided that he was a tease because God gave me a fleece. And man, I'm not really a fleece girl. I'm a Baptist girl. What do we do with fleeces? I don't know, but I did a fleece and God answered it. And I had all kinds of faith that God was going to heal Matthew here. And he didn't. Matthew died. And there was a moment there have been countless moments since then where I have had to say again and again and again and again and again, God, you are good. Like we sang, you are nothing but good. You are kind. You are nothing but kind. I don't understand you. I don't understand your ways. God, in many ways, you are a mystery to me. But you are good. And it, I didn't start saying yes to God on April 5th. 2013. I started saying yes to God when I was an eight-year-old girl who gave my heart to Jesus the best she knew how. And I've spent a lifetime saying yes. Nobody can do that for me. Nobody else can do that for me. And if you want to be a godly man, a godly woman, someone who can make it to the end when the wheels fall off the bus, when the bottom falls out, when life gets hard, when it just feels too difficult, when your spirit is bitter and jaded and a little cynical, there's nobody that can bring you back to our God who is a flame of fire besides you. Nobody else. And so if you and I want to be spiritually mature, we've got to control the controllables spiritually. And when you make the decision to take, I mean, make a decision don't just stumble into this. It won't happen if you stumble into it. It will be an intentional decision and commitment that you make, that you make every day. It's not like you do it once and you're done. It's not like salvation, once and done. No, that sanctification is day by day by day, moment by moment, second by second, yes by yes, that I will choose you, God. And when you do that, it sets the stage for what else happens in your life, for what else happens in your ministry 
I can talk to people and pretty quickly know from the things that they say to me, pretty quickly, whether these, whether you are a man or a woman who has decided to get serious with God. Because we all have these places where we want to blame, oh my goodness, I, am, I do not want to in any way make you think that I have got this completely handled. I don't. And there are so many times I'm griping about this and complaining about that and wishing this was different. And why did God allow that in this person's life and not in my life? And why did God answer their prayer and not mine? I mean, I struggle. This is where I struggle. This is where I live. But my feet and my face are set toward Jerusalem. They're set toward the cross. And when that's where your feet and your face are set, then when those moments come up over and over and over and over and over and over again, you say one more time, yes. I will be yours. I repeat Mary's prayer. I am your handmaiden. Be it unto me according to your word. You do with me as you like. You do with me as you will. And if that is not where your daily walk with God is, you're going to get bitter. You're going to get cynical. You're going to get jaded. You're going to get weary in the ministry because it's hard. It's hard. And if you aren't daily coming before God, be it unto me according to your will. Do with me as you will. Do with me as you will. You will struggle. There are a couple books I would recommend to you. I do love to read, and I think that's one of the practices that um, if you're not a reader, listen to it. You know, don't feel bad if you're not a reader. Not everybody likes to actually read the words on the page, but listen to it. There's two books. One is by Gary Thomas. It's an old book. Um, it's called Seeking the Face of God. And I love that one by him. I also love um, his book, um, Sacred Pathways, because he talks about how each of us has been wired uniquely by God. And, and when we get into that intimate place of worship with him, it's, it's a different way for each one of us. And, and whatever your way is, however God has shaped you, you need to do that every day. Because that's what will keep you seeking him. Keep it intimate. Keep it fresh with him. The other is a book by Fenelon called The Seeking Heart. That was written, um, he was a, a French priest in the 1700s. And he wrote, they've collected some of his letters called The Seeking Heart. Fenelon is one of those people that will kick your butt all over town. Because he just doesn't, he's gentle, but he doesn't coddle. And sometimes I'll read one sentence and it lasts me a week because I can't get away from it. It is so powerful and impactful. Um, I love Fenelon. And um, I read now and when I need to be reminded that I'm loved and I read Fenelon when, when I need to be reminded about dying to self. <laughs> we need both. Okay, so you get this? This is controllable. Nobody else, nobody else can control this but you. So make a determination to control the controllables. This will be part of building resilience in your spirit. Then emotionally. I want to be emotionally healthy as well as spiritually healthy. Um, and I think that, I don't know, for me growing up in, when I grew up in the church, um, different generation than many of you, and there really wasn't a lot of em emphasis on emotions. It was all about the spirit all about the spirit. And so we had this type of spirituality that was, uh, you know, about this broad because we knew where every book in the Bible was and we could 
quote you all sorts of scriptures and we could do Bible drills, all those things that I love, I'm grateful for. We knew um, all about missions. We knew all about um, service. We knew about all sorts of, I mean, really, our, our faith was so wide, but it wasn't necessarily very deep because it never went very far below the surface. If you could look good, if you could impress people with your spirituality, how quickly you could answer a question in Sunday school, how quick you could have your hand up, how quickly somebody could put you on the spot and say, tell us what is Psalm 132, mm, five and a half, and you could do it, you know, then that was really all that it took to be a spiritual giant. And if you were there Monday, you know, on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then you were there for leadership things, I mean, hey, you're good, man. You are a godly person. We didn't go beyond that, beneath that, into our emotions. We didn't understand very well, at least in the churches I grew up in, about being a whole person. And that there was an entire other part of me that also needed spiritual, that needed healing and that needed help. And that is our emotions. I mean, if we had time, and I really do like talking to people and hearing their stories, and I'd love to hear each of your stories. I can't, but if we could, I know you would tell me, I've told you a little bit of my story. You would tell me about your story. You would tell me the places that were wounding to you. You would tell you the people that hurt you, that abused you, the people who um, mistreated you. You'd tell me about the people who were good to you. You would tell me kind of that whole thing. And somewhere along the line, you, got, you picked up some wounds and you picked up some broken ways of thinking and some broken patterns and some kind of messed up ways of dealing with yourself and, and your friends. You don't, you've got some messy places in your friendships and messy places in your marriage and messy places in your leadership and messy places in your neighborhood. I mean, we've all got some messy places in us and they're mostly because of some emotional wounding that has not been healed. But if we could sit and talk together, we would weep together over some of those places where you have experienced abuse, racism, mistreatment, where you've experienced being left out or disregarded or maybe even physically wounded. Some of you have actually either been sexually assaulted or abused or physically. You've, you saw violence in your home. We don't talk about that a lot, but those things are all true. Well, I have too, and I haven't told you everything, and I don't have time for that, and it doesn't even really matter. All I really want to say to you is I don't want to be an emotional baby. I don't want to be a spiritual baby. I don't want to be content with being spiritually immature, somebody whose life is this deep, I mean this long, but this deep. I don't want that. So I'm intentionally trying to grow spiritually. Well, neither do I want to be an emotional baby. I want to grow up. I want to be mature emotionally. I want my emotions to be healthy. To do so means I have to control the controllables. I have to look at my life honestly. I have to be willing to say that hurt, that wounded me, that scarred me, that actually left me a little bit crippled, that actually left me kind of messed up. I don't do this or that well in relationships with people because of some of the wounds I experienced or some of the things I started to believe about myself or about other people and how I'm supposed to behave with other people. I have to decide. What am I going to do with that? 
Am I just going to bemoan that? Am I just going to say, yes, I experienced this and I experienced that, or am I going to bury it and pretend like it never happened? Neither of those things are good. Neither of those things are wise. Neither of those things are controlling the controllable. That might seem like you're controlling the controllable if you bury stuff, if you hide it, if you pretend it didn't happen, or you pretend it didn't really affect you, or you pretend that it's not still affecting you today. You can think that that's controlling the controllables. I don't feel that. I don't feel that. That was a very long time ago. No, I don't have any feelings about that. Oh, I'm over that. Yeah, that's past. Yeah, okay, yeah, that happened to me, but it wasn't that big a deal. Any of those statements are not controlling the controllables. They are burying the pains and the wounds and the scars that you've experienced. That is not emotionally healthy. And if you want to grow up as a whole person, you are going to have to make the decision. It wasn't your fault what happened to you. Some of the things that happen to you are not your fault. And I'm not blaming you for them. There is no blame, no shame for some of the things that happen to you. Some of the things that happen to you, you did choose. You made some really big mistakes. But there's still no shame because there's forgiveness. Where you and I have to control the controllables as it relates to our emotional health is making the decision to face those things and get help. Talk about it. Get healing. Have people pray specifically for those places. If there's a place that you need some therapy, great. Do it. Sometimes I've joked with a counselor that I've seen many, 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 many times over the years, what's the name of the yacht I bought you? Um, because <laughs> I have paid for my emotional well-being, and I am not, I'm not ashamed to say that. <laughs> but the thing is, you know what? Most people will never have the money that they need for the depth of healing that they need. It's just not there for a lot of people. So you know what? You need to make sure that you're in relationships that will go deep with you, that won't pull any punches, that won't let you pretend, that will call you out gently, not shamefully, but in relationships with people who you let see your stuff and they let you see theirs, and together you come before God and you say, man, I am a broken man, or I am a broken woman. Some of you need to get into recovery, literally. I can't remember if you have Celebrate Recovery here, but you have some kind of a recovery somewhere in this place or where you're from where you could be in recovery and find some healing for some of those hurts and hang-ups and things that are keeping you bound up. Because, listen, you don't want to be a spiritual baby. Excuse me, emotional baby. Um, Pete Scazzaro stuff. I love Pete's stuff. Emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally um, healthy leader. He talks about how can there be, you know, the, the deacon who has been a believer for 40 years, but he's the meanest cuss in the church. How is that possible? It's because of what I was saying earlier. When we only deal with the spirit and go broad and don't go deep into our emotions where we need healing and we need wholeness and we need health, then we're going to be emotional babies. So it's not your fault that you have scars and wounds, but it is your responsibility to control the controllables and get help. And as you get help, you will develop resiliency because you will become healthier and more whole. So let me talk about physically, the other part where, the other domain, this is the part you're going to not like. 
Because, <laughs> you know, people can tolerate me talking about being spiritually healthy because, like I said, that's what we do all the time in church. We talk about our spiritual health, and we don't necessarily call it that, but we're always talking about how we, how we need to improve. We're going to be more kind. We're going to be more loving. We're going to be more like Jesus. We're going to serve better. We're going to have a heart of compassion. We're going to, um, you know, know the Bible better. I mean, we love. That's what we do. That's how you do church, right? We know that. And it gets a little wobbly when we start talking about emotions because some of you are just like either you're so shut down and to think about exploring beneath the waterline is absolutely terrifying, if we could be honest, because you are not really sure what you will find if you go a little further. Some of you, oh yes, you know what you will find if you go a little further and you either have closed the door on that a long time ago and decided I can't fix it I don't know what to do about it, so I'm just going to put it behind me. And so when we talk about emotionally, it starts getting a little tense. When we talk about physically, this is where people can get downright mad. Because this is messing. This is like messing in your business uh, when we start talking about physically. Um, you know, as a good Baptist girl, um, I don't want anybody talking about the potlucks, okay? Because potlucks with their jello salads and three dozen kinds of cream pies and homemade ice cream. Oh, man, I could go back to that in a heartbeat. I could give up Saddleback for church potlucks. Um, <laughs> here's really what I want to say to you. What would it look like if you and I took Romans 12, 1, seriously? What it, would it really look like if we decided to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. We always run past that because we don't like to talk about the body. We just don't, we're not comfortable with it. And I pretty much guarantee you that you probably haven't heard many sermons out of Romans 12.1 that actually talk about the body. We say, present your body as a living sacrifice. And we, what do we mean? Be nicer, you know, be more surrendered. Um, we talk about actions like that. We're not talking about our real flesh and blood bodies, but what would it look like if you decided that you were going to truly offer your body as a sacrifice to God and that you were going to treat this one and only body that you have or ever will have on this earth as a temple, as a sacred place, as a place where the Spirit of God resides? What would change in your life? What would you have to change? What would you have to give up? What would you have to add? What would you have to adapt? What would have to change? What uncontrollable thing, have, what, have, what, what, what controllable thing have you lied to yourself and told was uncontrollable because to really make it controllable would be so much work and so hard. We treat our bodies like we're living in a science fiction novel. That somewhere out there, if this body starts to wear out, we'll just switch to another one. There's another one out there. We act like these bodies are expendable. That they're not finite. That they're not fragile. That they're not frail. That they're not easily damaged. That they're not easily destroyed. We treat our bodies like crap. And then we wonder why we feel so bad and don't have energy. And then we wonder why that 
everything is so hard, and man, I don't know how I'm going to make it to the finish line, because man, this, man, I'm, I'm, man. We live like science fiction. We don't seem to live with the understanding that the way we treat our physical bodies can actually shape everything about our lives and our ministries. This, please just hold your own hand for a second. I hate it when speakers make you do stuff like this, but I really just want you to be in touch with your own body. This is the only vehicle that you have to do God's will in this world. You have no other vehicle by which to live out God's purposes and his plan and his promise and his provision for you, but this flesh and bone body. A few years ago, I decided I was going to get serious about it, and I'm not going to lie to you and say it's fun or it's easy. I am not one of those gym rats. I am not one of those people who cannot wait to get out of bed every morning to eat clean and to eat well and to exercise. I hate it. I hate it all. I'm not going to lie to you. I hate it all. I, I do. I hate it. I hate it. I love sugar. Oh, I love me some sugar. Um, but... I chose this message today partly because I needed to preach it to myself. Because I've gotten a little lax. I'm facing a little bit of some health stuff. It's nothing urgent, but it's controllable. And doggone it, I don't want to. I don't want to. But this is it. This is all I've got. And I do want to love Jesus with every bit, every fiber of my being until he comes for me. And I don't want to short circuit it because I'm stupid. And because I refuse to control the controllables just because they're hard or they're uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. And so some of you are wishing I would just stop talking about this. <laughs> I didn't come to this conference to hear that stuff, okay? But let me just tell you this. Some of you have decided that, um, you know, you've tried with your body. You know, you've tried to be healthy. You've tried to all that. And you've just decided... It's, you can't do it, so you're just going to focus on the, you'll focus on the spiritual, and you're going to focus on the emotional health. Man, you are going to be the most spiritually mature man or woman. You're going to be the most emotionally mature man or woman, but your body, hmm, hmm, well, we won't talk about that. Nobody can do this for you but you. Nobody. Nobody controls how much this hand is moving food up to the mouth. Okay? It, and it doesn't move into, it's not like it has a mind of its own. We like to act like, what am I doing? What is this hand? Man, it's just, it's just shoveling food inside my face. What is it doing? You know, like, huh, where'd that come from? No, no, no. This is attached to you. So you and I control what we put in our mouths, how much we put in our mouths, the quality of the food we put in our mouths. You and I decide how late we stay up playing word games on your phone. How, um, how late you stay up watching Netflix or whatever it is you do. You're the only one who decides how late you're up working. You're the only one that decides whether you're sleeping, whether you choose to get up in the morning and exercise and move. You're the only one. Nobody else. I, you know, we'd love to blame everybody else, but no. And if you have chronic health problems, I am not talking to you. I am not talking to those of you who through no fault of your own. It's not my fault I got cancer. 
my fault I had breast cancer. I'm not talking to some of those things. It's not your fault if you have depression. It's not your fault if you've got anxiety. Those are, I'm not talking about the things that are not necessarily within our control. I'm talking about the things that are controllable and we have just chosen not to do them. So let me wrap it up with this. I don't want you, I don't want to leave ministry because it got too hard. If God were to ever call us to do something else, then that would be God's business and I would say yes to him. But I don't want to leave ministry because it got too hard. Because I didn't build up the resilience that I need to face the hardness of ministry, the tough times, the struggles, the times when it's not fun at all. I don't want to leave ministry because emotionally I was crippled and I couldn't handle the criticism and I couldn't handle the, the backbiting and I couldn't handle listening to everybody else's needs and I, you know, all the stuff that's emotionally difficult. I don't want to leave ministry because spiritually I stopped saying yes because I stopped believing in the goodness of God. God may call you. Listen, the statistics are in five years, some of you will not be in ministry. From, from this moment, in five years, some of you will not be in ministry. And some of you, it will be because God has called you to do something else. He's opened up another career path and accept it joyfully. Go, go, do it. Serve Jesus in the marketplace. Serve him where he calls you. Go with no guilt or no shame if God opens those doors. But don't leave if it's just because you didn't take care of yourself. Don't leave because you didn't make the decisions about being a spiritually whole and healthy person, an emotionally whole and healthy person, that to the best of your ability, don't leave because your body gave out because you didn't control the controllables. I want to, as I said, if I crawl across the finish line, I'm willing to do that. I don't want to be a baby spiritually. I don't want to be a baby emotionally. I don't want people to have to tiptoe around me because I'm such a baby emotionally. I don't want people to have to go, oh, don't talk to her. Better not bring that. Ah, oh, gosh, if you bring that up, man, she kind, of, she kind of gets really weird about stuff like that. I don't want to be a baby emotionally. I'm going to do the hard work. I don't want to be a baby in my body. I want to be a warrior to the best of my ability. I want to fight with everything I have, with my body, with my emotions, with my spirit, until Jesus comes for me. And so my question to you, will you make a decision in this moment to control the controllables in your life and leave the uncontrollables, there will be so much, my friends, that you don't know what to do with. Can you leave those with God? But can you make a decision to control the controllables so that when he comes for you, whenever that day is, you are as whole and healthy and mature spiritually as it was possible to be in your lifetime. Will you meet him as emotionally whole and healthy as it was possible to be in this lifetime? I want to pause right there and say this. There are some wounds in our lives that are so deep and so profound, there will not be complete healing until heaven. There just won't. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the things you can control. And will you, when you meet Jesus, to the best of your ability, have honored this one and only flesh and blood vehicle? 
so that he could do his will in and through you to the best that you knew how. Let me pray for you briefly. Father, I do believe that you are calling to each of us to a higher way of living, to a higher standard of discipleship, to a higher level of commitment, to a higher level of truth. God, we just waste so much time pretending that things aren't a problem in our lives. And it doesn't seem to matter how many times we bump up against that same place. <clears throat> if it's in our body or if it's in our emotions or relationships or in our walk with you, it doesn't even seem to matter how many times we bump up against those same walls. We just keep repeating the same patterns over and over and over again. And then our discouragement grows and our weariness grows and our spirits just lose heart. God, I, I recommit to you in front of these brothers and sisters to be your handmaid. Be it unto me according to your will. Do with me whatever you like. You are good and I trust you. God, I pray that you will help me keep seeking you emotionally, not being afraid to face my own weaknesses, my sins, the places where I've got scars and the places where there are still scabs that are fresh and where I've just decided it was too hard to face this or that, that I didn't know how to. I tell you with the best of my ability, I want to be emotionally healthy and I'm willing to do the work that it takes to get to those places. And God, I tell you again in front of brothers and sisters who can hold me accountable that I give back to you my one and only body as a living sacrifice. May I, as a whole person, body, soul, and spirit, greet you someday with joy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you've, uh, you've prayed for us. And I want to take a moment and just collectively as a conference pray for you. God, we thank you for the treasure that is Kay. God, in this season that she's in, how you've called her to drop into so many different places and to share your wisdom, to share your heart, God. We thank you for her. We thank you for the 43 years that she and Rick have faithfully served you, kept their eyes on you amidst the storms that have raged, God, and how she models to us your redemption of every part of our life, God. Even the dark, scary places, Lord, you are the redeeming God who by your spirit meets us, lifts us up, gives us new strength and power to go forward in victory because of your victory, Jesus, on the cross. So we thank you for her and we bless her in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Can we thank Kay again for sharing with us? Amazing. Amazing.